He's been working out for a month for this. Yeah. He's fine. I've just been I've just been eating like grilled chicken. But I broccoli grilled chicken. I mean the guy look at how he looks. Whatever. I cut my hair. Cut shaved. his hair. I, mean, I don't know what else is left. Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of arts and culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hesham Montasir. I'm joined on the show today by Khaled Talhouni, co-founder and managing partner at Noah Capital, a new venture capital firm based in Dubai, which Khaled announced at STEP Conference in 2020 with his partners Sarah Borisha and Stephanie Noor-Prince. Khaled has been active in the private investing space for some time now and most recently spent the last six years at Wamda Capital. I wanted to talk to Khaled about the raison d'etre behind Noah Capital, their investment philosophy, and especially their focus on providing their entrepreneurs with support that seems to go beyond writing a check, something that is very reminiscent of VC giant Andreessen Horowitz in the US. We also discuss his views on adopting a transparent and social media-friendly approach to investing, which investors such as Kathy Woods of Art Capital have embraced in the public investment arena. I know you have your own podcast with Noah Capital, so I feel like I beat you to the punch. You did, yeah. We're supposed here. to, we're supposed to get. But you, you have a much, uh, much, much cooler and much broader podcast. Ours nah, is just I think like, you're, you you're know, being kind. They're yeah. two very different things. But Nanjiba, we'll bring you. We'll bring you to ours. I can afford to, by virtue of what I do, being slightly broader <laughs> than you guys. So I understand that. I want to start at a point when you um, launched Noah Capital, which has been now um, a year old. Happy birthday. <laughs> And the first thing that strikes you when you look at it, I've known you for some time now, was that you launched it with two female partners. Yeah. That's probably unusual for finance at large, venture right. capital for sure, and even more when you look at the region, which is vastly underrepresented when it comes to women. Uh, was that in any way conscious or did you not even think about it? They were ex-colleagues and you said, those are the right people that I want to start this business with. If I'm, if I'm totally honest, it didn't factor at all in my thinking. I'd no, like to great. claim like somewhere, but it was not part of the <laughs> thought process at all. I think both Sarah and Stephanie I've worked with a long, long time. I think they're my closest friends in, in business that there are, right? Like I don't have like closer friends really you know besides that there, there was nobody else i really want to do this with sure. right this was kind of like the the people i really 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 wanted to work with the fact that they were like they're women is just kind of yeah came it's by just the, by the side which is always the, the best way to do it right this yeah. is not you ticking some boxes and saying i want to start a business that needs to be politically correct and needs to have this no kind of no no i think there is this kind of like streak of like I, we don't have it as much in our part of the world even though we probably need it more which is this kind of like I don't really call it like identitarianism. Like I need to kind of have a certain identity politics. Yeah, yeah, a certain type of like you said, checks and boxes, and that's not so prevalent here. Even though like we're less like diverse society generally, and we have um, kind of more need for equitable outcomes. Uh, but that's not kind of like how like I think, or I don't think how Sarah or Stephanie think either. I think they are, you know, the the the, the principal characteristics were, you know, we've been working together a long time. We have a certain chemistry with each other. Um, and then both Sarah and Stephanie are incredible at what they do. And I think that's what matters the most. They, you know, have, you know, huge wealth of experience, either on the investment side and working, investing some kind of the earliest um, successes of, of tech companies in the region or building on Stephanie's side and building communities. 
Um, so Sarah was with me when we, you know, we did the Kareem investment early on. She kind of put that memo together. She did the due diligence. She, uh, if I remember, if memory serves, she, um, she advocated for that very aggressively. I think internally, I, I was a bit more circumspect, if I'm honest. I was like, let's not invest as much. But um, um, so that's kind of one on, on, on Sarah's side, on the investment side, where Stephanie takes care of our brand and our operations. And, you know, she like a huge part of like building our outreach to the entrepreneurial ecosystem, how we kind of differentiate ourselves. I mean, they, they're just incredibly remarkable people. And I, I would not choose to do this with anybody else. If you pause and think for a minute about the inverse conversations you have with them, whether it was at Wamda or now at NOAA, do you think they're bringing in a diversity of thought or a perspective that is different because they are women or that also doesn't factor? So if you would step back and think about a deal like Karim or any other deal that you've done, yeah. do you think you, and maybe this is not conscious, but I'm just curious whether this is something that when you, when you think about it now, factors in, you say, oh, that's interesting. I, would have, I never thought about it that way because yeah. I'm seeing from a male's perspective. Uh, is that, does that come up? Uh, this is going to get me into hot water, but good, uh, yeah, good, but great, like fantastic. Uh, <laughs> very early on in the episode, to get, say, get, hey. like you know. But at least if, if we're in the US and get cancelled here, it's like it's you fine. won't get yeah, cancelled. I'm not going to get cancelled here. I don't think. Um, I, I think that diversity of opinion is critical, and is, is and is you know having that diversity of opinion, and and frankly, because we all used to work together, we we need to bring like more people on. We bring a couple of new team members that we didn't work with. And that kind of brings a different like set of diversity because some of our experiences are shared experiences, or a lot of our experiences are shared experiences. But like on the on the on the gender angle, you know, gender in of itself, I don't think like brings a diverse perspective. But it's not, it is not the you know that identity is not what defines you the diversity of your view. It's rather your lived experience, you know, as a as a as a man or as a woman, as a you know person of certain ethnic origin, whatever. It's like your uniqueness of the individual, I think, trumps whatever kind of identity you might have. You know, diversity is supremely important, but it is the um, your, your lived experience, your lived experience well as an individual that matters more. So you could have like, you know, uh, um, uh, like a, a woman with a certain like experience, but that might not be that informative, right? Just because she's sure. a woman. It's about like what they've actually done in their lives, what they've experienced, what they've seen. And I think that applies to like different angles and... Um, investing in that diversity is critical. So when you're, when investing in that experience is critical and you launch a new business and it's only three of you, so obviously there's scarcity here in terms of what you can do because you're only three. And, yeah. and I remember from starting a business in the early days are very, very crucial, but also quite challenging. You've chosen from the get-go a partner that will focus on community and on outreach. Yeah, we're now seeing a little bit of the pendulum swinging towards that. You know, big uh, companies like Andreessen Horowitz and the VC in the US doing something like Future.com, even companies in the public space like Arc. Yeah, you've seemed to kind of from day one made a decision that that is very important to your identity as a firm and your success. Because the other way to go about it would have been you know what, the first thing I'm going to do is focus on investing. Yeah. I'm going to bring three investing partners. I'm going to bring a bunch of analysts. I'm going to do a bunch of deals. Yeah, yeah. Let everything else figure out itself later. That's your, kind of your typical scenario. And I've noticed from day one a program that goes beyond pure investing, let's say, that has a social media element, a community outreach element, a partner engagement element, um, you were talking to me earlier um, also about, you know, potentially an internship program of sorts, etc. Was that all by design? So there's a lot within that 
to kind of unpack. So I'll start with kind of like, you know, why Stephanie's role. So I wanted like uh, from day one, um, somebody who is a partner, so they're kind of invested in the firm. This is not like an employee who can help drive and be self, self-driven self in, in building our sort of differentiated offerings. And what is that differentiated offering? Yeah, so, <laughs> so I think the first thing is, is really how we engage with the different members of the ecosystem in which we play, the stakeholders, whether they are LPs, our investors, whether they are entrepreneurs we work with, or whether it's, um, you know, people who are adjacent to it, right? Like with governments, et cetera. You know, I think a lot of like investment firms, whether it's VCs or private equity or, you know, neglect that and just focus too much on the investing, not seeing that the world we live in is ripe for disruption and the investment world specifically is being disrupted. I like to say like a lot of VCs, they invest in disruption, but they're not aware of their own disruption of their own industry, right? So like if I fast forward into kind of 10 years, 15 years from now, I don't think we're going to have another fund. Uh, we're going to have like successive funds, but rather like this sort of network where we can marshal capital as required towards like interesting founders and interesting entrepreneurs. That's what we're interested in doing. And to do that, you need to build this kind of interlocking network. Uh, we've not really figured out how, like we're, we're kind of figuring it out as we go along, we're evolving it, but the sure. DNA is, is core to that. How do we engage in a very transparent and open way with A, our LPs, our investors, B, the founders that we work with, and how do we add value in a tangible way with those founders and everyone around that ecosystem. So the, the first thing we're doing around that is, you know, we've been investing in the, in emerging markets, particularly the region, better part of like 13, 14 years now, done like over 120 investments, um, you know, passed on like, you know, I've seen thousands of companies, you know, and what we're talking about at some point, like all the companies we passed on that we screwed up on, yes. but like, that's a different topic. I'm writing an article about that, <laughs> but anyway. The, um, but, and, and you see like the real kind of pain points that founders face that we want to solve for. The biggest amongst them is, um, this idea that founders here need a lot more help than they do compared to like Silicon Valley or China or even like Southeast Asia. But even in Silicon Valley, right? I mean, and they this, do this Hollywood yeah. model is essentially based, yeah. built on CAA model, which exactly. is a Hollywood model. Exactly, yeah. And even there, they fully understand that founders need hand-holding over and above just building their company. Yeah. So you obviously believe in that as well. Yeah, I think that, and for Andreessen, what's interesting is if you talk to them, what they say is, we're not sure if we're adding value uh, we're, made, we're changing the outcomes, but really we're, by offering these like kind of value add services, services. services, like they, what they do, I mean, just to kind of unpack that they offer, um, you know, they have a product team that helps the companies with their product, a tech team that helps their companies build tech, a PR recruit, team, recruitment HR, team, PR, accounting. across the board. So they like supplement their portfolio with an in-house team, subject matter experts with domain expertise that they make available for their companies. And what they say is, and when you ask, the, ask them the question, they say, well, we're not sure if it like leads to better companies, but what it certainly does is it leads to better founders and companies coming to want to work with us because they want to make use of it. Here, I think it's a bit of both, right? Mm -hmm. We want to get like good founders to work with us, but I think the founders also need a bit more help given like the structural um, uh, But do you think the that this would give you an edge by attracting quote unquote better founders or more founders that have the drive and the talent and the kind of things you're looking for. And they're saying, if I go to Noah Capital, I'm getting more than just a check. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're trying to do. And, and if I'm totally honest, have we cracked it? No, I think we, we have a portfolio about- days. Yeah, we have a portfolio about eight. We started investing since we closed about uh, six months ago. So it's still formulating, but it's core to kind of the mission. And we have, you know, 
you know, third of the partnership is is looking at just this, right? Well, that's what I meant. Exactly. So this is kind of core to it. A lot of resources yeah. are being poured from day one into this. Exactly. The other thing, major thing, and I got a lot of questions about that. I was like, why are you like, you know, it's like, you know, but I think this is kind of critical to who we are. But it's not just this kind of value add piece. The other piece is like, you know, we launched like a, what we call like a... Uh, uh, VC and training program where we, what we notice is you have a lot of like on the investment side, a lot of, you know, the second, the next generation of like uh, wealthy families in our region uh, who are interested in the space but have not played in it yet. And it's very easy to get your fingers burnt. So we want to kind of extend our network by saying, you know, come and like do this with us for six weeks on a rolling basis. We'll open everything up. And I think that's the other big piece about like uh, what we want to do is just to be extremely transparent. So we publish all our thesis. We share it with all our investors. It's not like this kind of secret sauce. I mean, so again, this is a bit of Patreon. I mean, not not that you borrowed it from there, but we, you and I talked about Arc yes, Capital exactly, and what yeah. they do, right? And they go even as far as they're in the public market. They publish their daily trades, which profoundly changed exactly, the yeah. way public investing is thought through. I, I come from a public investing background. Yeah radicalize the model entirely i'm a huge fan of like kathy wood and like Arg. i think just of what they've done in terms of re reframing the way we think about investing generally 100%. right and and that's something we want to kind of pick up on and so that's kind of part of the piece is we publish the way we think obviously we're private market investors so it's not as you know that's not as um it, the velocity is a lot slower but everything we do we'll publish we'll make open we'll share with the world and i think that's one of the biggest learnings of the past like a year or year and a half is differentiate by being open. It's an interesting time to be launching or be in business and certainly launching a first fund. Very recently, a few deals have been announced. Mom, Mom's World announced that they were being going to be acquired by Tamer Group. When you were in Wamda, you were one of the investors in, in yeah. Mom's World and sat on their board for a while as well. How does that factor into your thinking uh, when these kind of deals happen? Because uh, in our part of the world, this doesn't happen every day. I mean, you know, if you're in the U.S., this is a dime yeah. a dozen. Here to see kind of larger M&A transactions, large capital injections, etc., is not a very uh, yeah. common occurrence. And in fact, people like Fadi Randur and others, when uh, Karim was acquired by Uber, had a thesis, which is probably very true, that now you're going to see those kind of Kareem graduates go off, 100%, do their yeah. own thing, either invest or start their own companies, and that will profoundly invigorate the ecosystem. How much of that are you seeing? How much of it is true? I mean, it's remarkable. We just did, and I'll share after, is we kind of charted all the kind of, what we, like the Kareem mafia, I think like Fadi coined that term, which is analogous to the PayPal mafia. PayPal mafia in the US. And it's, it is truly incredible. Like there are like uh, I want to start the lighthouse mafia. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Khaled, go ahead. Yeah, so there is that effect of basically, you know, the, the forces at play are that, you know, a lot of the alumni of these companies, they come out and they, they've been bitten by this kind of like entrepreneurship startup bug. And they're not going back to, you know, wherever they came from yeah, before. McKinsey, no, no disrespect. No, yeah, yeah. Or they're not going back to McKinsey. They're not going back to PNG or where a PwC, whatever it is. They're, it's just Halas. done. It's like, yeah. so all of these people bring with them experience, energy, networks with access to capital and it's just explosive so like out of the um the companies that we're investing in i think that over the next two both are kareem alumni and i expect like a good chunk so of already our, this is happening That's already, so interesting. Uh, i think one interesting thing if i could rewind the clock i would almost do um taking a play out of like a arc for example is how do you find indexes to back 
right? Mm. Like, how do you find signal, right? One thing you could do is just do a, a very simple, like, you know, Kareem alumni fund. And you just say, my, if, you're, if you've been in Kareem for over like two years, over this period of time, then here's $100,000, no question asked, done. You know, whatever you're raising out, I don't care, you know? And, that, and there's a lot of value and stuff like that. Um, it's a it's a bit too heterodox to do in this kind of market, like for investors. But I I would love to be able to do different things like that that track indices. Can I just dive a little bit deeper into this, Karim? For this part of the world, in venture capital and private companies, was obviously a very big deal. We didn't have many deals of that size, almost any. But you look to the U.S. again, taking a page out of PayPal, for example. I mean, PayPal is a very successful company, but that PayPal mafia, quote unquote. Um, is very unique. You've had many other successful yeah. companies uh, in the US, in Silicon Valley. You haven't heard of necessarily as much of the Amazon mafia or the Facebook mafia, but you've heard. Yeah. So what do you think is the secret sauce here? What's remarkable about PayPal is that just the personalities that emerge, yeah, that they're huge of, outside But maybe that was an outlier. But I think if you dig into like the others, just not at that scale, so many of them are That's alumni of like Google, that Facebook, Twitter. It just might not be, you know, multi, multi-billion dollar outcomes, but like you have like, you know, many people that come out. Yeah, and not these outsized personalities like Peter yeah, Thiel and whatnot. Exactly. And the other thing that's, useful about like our ecosystem that's you know it's exploding it's fast growing but it's nascent there's concentration within the kareem mafia for example of people who've been there done it whereas in the u.s there's you know million like tens of thousands of if not hundred thousand whereas here we're talking about hundreds right that you can you could grab are you generally just very broadly just to give our audience a bit of a sense of venture capital which is and i think it's great that you guys are doing what you're doing by publishing this and putting it out there and shedding light because it seems to people from the outside as such a profoundly complex and difficult and uh, opaque type of industry. Your, your, your previous company, I mean, Wamda has done a fantastic job with that as well. Yeah, and yeah, still do, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think you have a bit of that DNA as well. But when you're looking today at a company, uh, when you're looking to invest, deploying capital, so you're a first-time first fund, you're now deploying fresh capital. Are you generally driven by um, the industry and what the business model of this company is? Right. Is it the founder or founders that drive you? Is it a combination? What is the initial thing that ticks the box and says, you know what, I'm going to spend more time with this person? Yeah, I think, you know, to, to go a bit back, I think like, yeah, very grateful for the Wanda experience and particularly learning a lot from Fadi. I think like you really enabled. I feel Fadi has an imprint on so many people. Yeah, and so yeah, many yeah things. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the Fadi mafia, you know, like that's <laughs> another, another, another conversation. <laughs> but um uh, you know, in terms of like assessing opportunities, I think we, um, you know, first and foremost, and this is true at the earlier stage, right? The earlier you are, the more true this is, is like nothing matters more than the founder, right? Like that's kind of critical or the founder and then the management team that the founder has, has brought around them. Because when you're at like seed or pre-seed or, you know, that very early stage, where, what you start with is very rarely where you end up with, right? It's a very, very different kind of like outcome. And that's very ephemeral and intangible. It's, it's hard to, I couldn't kind of like, how do you kind of like um, assess that in a, in a very objective way? You know, there's certain things you look for, like past experience, for example, like I said, the Karim Mafia, the ability to intellectualize problems, uh, but then equally the ability to operate and to kind of bring a team around you. These are all highly intangible and subjective. So, you know, sometimes it's a bit of pattern recognition that you kind of try to kind of identify that. And then when you can marry that to a thesis, 
which is a, a hypothesis, a thesis is just like a theory, right? To say, I think that, you know, for example, um, there is a big gap in access to um, global capital markets for pe people who are saving money to access like the S&P 500 in the Middle East because they're not sophisticated, they can't access it. So that's, that's a hypothesis. And then you kind of dig into it and say like, why is that a gap and how do you solve that gap? And then if you can marry that with a team that's working on solving that problem, that is the right team, that's the secret sauce. You usually get it wrong, one, one side or the other. Uh, but that, that's kind of the core, core proposition. Do you run the risk, though, of backing into a hypothesis about the company simply because you like the founder? In other words, you know, I am very much taken by Hashem, as you should be, frankly. Mm. But, uh, and now, you know what? The company Hashem is starting is interesting, not super interesting. But yeah. I start building my own theory about why this is actually much more interesting and, and, and has higher potential yeah. than it does. Do you find yourself doing that? Uh, all the time, but I think it's the right kind of bias. Oh, interesting. So if okay. like, real example, if Hashem Muntasar comes and says, I'm starting X, I'll stop it before X and say like, Here's here's the seed investment done. We're, right. done. we're done, guys. So I think like that matters a lot, especially at like early stage. It starts changing, by the way, and like you know, not to kind of like advertise this too much. Valuation at like seed and early doesn't matter that much. Yeah, it starts that. mattering a lot more as you get later, especially in our part of the world where the outcomes aren't as big. But like at seed, if you invest, you know, in in a great founder, the idea is a bit nebulous, but it's a great team that can make things happen, and it's a bit expensive. Right, and expensive. Let's say normally you'd value the company at like eight million. Instead, it's like fifteen or sixteen, double, double. What, what, what does it matter if this is a team that can build a billion-dollar outcome? Oh, I completely agree with you. I mean, even in personal example, when we launched the lighthouse five years ago, and I went to one or two friends to bring in as potential kind of angel investors, and it was really mostly to keep us disciplined. Not, and I think there were four friends in total. Not one of them, I think more than glance through a term sheet. I mean, there was no conversation. Yeah. And frankly, I think that was the right approach um, because of all the things you've said. Either it's going to really work and then it's not going to make a difference whether pre-seed was a three million yeah. or four, or uh, it's just going to blow up. I mean, like you think back to when you started The Lighthouse, how much of where you are now is the original idea anyway? Right, like how much have you evolved exactly that right. concept and like where you've taken it? I mean, you were betting on like Hashim and Hani. Not right, correct. Not like this is the menu, and this is like you you're know, absolutely I mean, yeah. correct. One of my my best friends and 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 uh, told me this, and who's a banker as well, a private equity guy. We started at A and obviously wind up launching at B, and I was sort of a bit bewildered. I said, you know, we, we had this idea, and it was more of a concept store, and now it's more of an F and B concept. And he's like, Hashem, if you hadn't gone from A to B, I would be very very worried. Yeah. It means you show, you know, exactly. intellectually, you're not flexible enough. Yeah. Exactly, and, yeah. and that is a problem, actually. We'll talk more about Khaled's take on the MENA startup ecosystem and his vision for Noah Capital right after the short break. Welcome back. You're listening to our conversation with Khaled Talhouni. Earlier this month, Kitopi, a cloud kitchen startup based here in Dubai, raised a funding round of $415 million, taking their valuation above a billion dollars to create a MENA-based unicorn company. In fact, their CEO and founder, Mohammed Balut, was on the show last year talking about his vision for Kitopi. In full disclosure, I'm an angel investor in Kitopi. So today, if you think about 
um, your, you know, your, your stomach and how you consume food, right? So you consume food at home, you consume food, you know, whether you're in the office, you can you know, walk to the lighthouse and consume food there. You can be in a hotel. Um, you can, so no matter where you are, your kids can consume it in school. So our goal is how can we really help you as a brand, you know, get your brand on a global footprint, not just on food delivery, but on all other verticals of food, including takeaway and dine-in. One of Mo Balutz and his team's ambitions was, I'm going to export this model abroad. They have come back from that, and they're now refocused on the region. Yeah. You think it's because they, like many others, which makes a lot of sense, have a differentiated uh, advantage here in the region when they went outside. I don't want you to speak for Katopia. I'm just curious about yeah. how you think about business models. Yeah. They realize, you know what? Actually, I have an edge in Dubai and in Kuwait and in Riyadh and in Cairo. Yeah. I'm not sure I can add all that much in New York. And then our theory, your point about ultimately the size of the market is just going to be the Middle East. It's very, very unlikely that you're going to build a Facebook out of the Middle East uh, that goes global. Um, where do you stand on that? The kind of underlying theory or thesis we had around this for years, really, is that it was very hard to kind of emerge kind of global businesses from 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 the region. So there are few notable why? examples. Because because the region is not competitive enough. Because we're not good enough. Because why? It's a really good question, <laughs> and I'll give you the examples of ones that have been able to kind of scale. Yeah. Worth noting that like Kitopi, we missed on. Like we should, I always regret not investing on it because I think it's a great business. So that's that's in the second episode that we're going to yeah, do yeah, yeah, with all, all the companies all, that you all the, all the things that uh, actually t actually yeah, the other company I was going to mention that has done it successfully also I missed on, which is a company called Fresha. Yes. which they do uh, basically like it's a SaaS offering for bookings for hair salons. Uh, and that's become like a huge success and it went global. Uh, the other company, happy to say didn't miss on, which is a Turkish company called Insider, which is a SaaS marketing business that has gone totally global. Started in Turkey, came to MENA, but then realized, you know, the their offering is, is and, and has totally gone. It's like everywhere. Right? Okay, totally so why global. did Insider work? And, and Fresher work. Yeah, but what is the reason we don't see that happening or we don't think that this is a likely probability whereas if you start in Silicon Valley, you absolutely do think, all the founders there, yeah. that this is just the beginning and they will go global. I think one thing is like there's just so many, like back to this idea of like the most powerful thing in the world is like just networks and the interlocking of networks. Um, you know, you have this kind of confluence of incredible things that happen in Silicon Valley and, you know, frankly, in China, for China, which is a separate conversation, that is hard, very hard to replicate. The abundance of capital, right? Uh, the abundance of talent, like talent on a different scale, right? The, uh, the size, of, I mean, this is the large, the U.S. is the largest economy in the world. And, and you know, there's, once you See, prove the something market there, market is very large, is, 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 is serious. And then, and then the, um, from there, you're able to kind of like leverage success there to go global very quickly. And I think that's something very, very, very hard to replicate. I agree. So in the in the case of schedule, Fresh, if I'm not mistaken, they they relocated for the company started in Dubai, relocated to London. And there's a reason why they did that, is because they wanted to access that market and their consumers were there. It's hard to kind of um solve for the region whilst also solve for the world, right? Um so that's I think the the inherent tension in in, in that. That's not to say it's not possible, it's just much harder. But the other thing that it's like what we're excited about is the first wave of kind of innovation here is more kind of like 
lo- localized innovation, meaning I take an existing business model and I localize it, and that's my innovation. The Kareem model, the Souk model. Yeah, central. I think the future is more around like solving for very, very local like Needs. requirements, which are not replicable elsewhere. So this sort of decentralization of 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 innovation. So it's not just like and Silicon Valley can't solve for, you know, like the fact that you know we have one of the largest credit gaps in the world or the fact that you know the MENA region has you know in in media for example like content wise we you know it's the same 20 top performing musicians or, or the artists last 20 years yeah and there's reasons structural reasons for that so like that's not a solution that's going to emerge from the bay area so do you think that's the reason um big programs like Y Combinator are now taking on yeah. cohorts from the Middle East and other parts of the world yeah yeah i think we just invested in a YC alum and I think you see that that's kind of like what's going on. Um, the other place where the, it's more advanced than MENA, interesting, is Africa. So, so East Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa. They've been solving for like local problems a little while. And now it's beginning to scale. Mobile. Mpesa. Like, I mean, um, you know, the first mobile wallet business on mass in the world was in Kenya. I mean, you know, 15 years ago. I mean, there's a reason for that. Um, and I think we're starting to see in MENA similar stuff. So how do you deal with the unbanked, the underbanked in in localized way? I think we're seeing more and more bits of, bits of that. Um, the r- room for like B2B marketplaces, because our marketplaces are very opaque and undigitized, which is an emerging market phenomenon. Can you see yourself at some point being on the other side of this trade? So you have people, again, we keep using the same example, but like, um, you know, Mark Andreessen, who was obviously an operator, very, very successful yeah, yeah. For many years, and then went the VC route. You've had people kind of going both sides. Do you see yourself ever starting your own company as an operating tech business or uh, any business? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to, and I've tried a couple uh, very early right after college and failed very quickly, but um, I am a terrible operator. I am like truly a terrible, Well, you're terrible, operating a company now, by the way. A very small company. Like the, our, small the, the scale of operations is reasonably small and is like, you know, it, it, it's, it's cerebral in nature, which is it kind of works in my head. Like, and so where, whereas like, you know, and this is why I wish I could be like a founder. I'm a, maybe, who knows, like in the future, but like realizing my own strengths and weaknesses, like operating large scale teams um, is probably not my strength. And it's not, it's not managing people. I love managing people actually, like, but it's more, and working with people, but it's more like, you know, that methodical operational drive is definitely not my strength. And one of the reasons why I love my job is because I live vicariously through the founders we invest and I see them like building stuff. Uh, But to your point, like if we're able to build this platform, it could get like sizable because the ambition is, the ambition is not to be a VC, right? Like that's that's kind of like, it's a bit boring, you know, if I'm honest. The ambition is to to have like a growth investment platform that backs, um, you know, founders and companies in emerging markets on a broader scale, whether that's in, you know, VC or growth equity or buyout or debt or, you know, whatever it is. I think there's so much room to kind of help invest and then support um, uh, new businesses. And that's what, like, I'm personally very passionate about. If, you know, as we kind of like prove the model, like the, 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 the idea is to kind of like invest in entrepreneurs that are reshaping their world. And those are not necessarily like the classic tech entrepreneur that could be like, you know, the lighthouse or like, you know, whatever that may be. And really, really believe in that. I mean, I, I know you to be like heavy kind of intellectual type of, I mean, you like to build frameworks, clearly problem solving. Were you always like that as a kid or did you, and you, did you kind of know that you would get into no. this type of business or you grew up wanting to be a, I don't know, a pilot? 
No, no I, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to be. I, 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 cerebral is for sure. I always lived inside my own head okay. a bit too much, you know? My son is like that, so uh, I can relate <laughs> to this. <laughs> i give you an example. Like, the mo the, the, like the ha the, like the, I was so excited, for example, when I found out, when you told me, like, the lighthouse is a reference to Virginia Woolf, right? Like, okay. that's like one of my favorite, like, so that's why I love this podcast, right? Like, it's, so it that's- just made my day. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things, you know, uh, about the lighthouse, besides the founder and the food, but like the- Thank you. The, the name itself and the reference was just like, you know, it got a tickle from that. But anyway- You were always like I that. was always like, on a, you know, probably uh, more on, on, on kind of that side. But yeah, I, well, after college- You went to school in the US? Yes, yeah. Right, university, and, Duke? Yeah, and I was like, I'm not sure what I want to do with my life, because I majored in- uh, economics and history, and I minored in Slavic studies, which wow, totally. I speak uh, I speak very badly a number of like Eastern European languages. Less so now. Can't I, wait to speak to you in Slovenian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dobre. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's, uh, it's the the point being like everyone went into investment banking at that time. That was the thing. Go to Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, right, whatever. And uh, and I hated it. I like couldn't stand. I couldn't stand the internship. Killed me. Like I hate. It was just so like soulless and like not to kind of dunk on investment bankers, but like it's just such a like a you know soul crushing thing. You know, it's not it's not the long hours or whatever. I mean that doesn't help. But it's more the what are we it's just the, the nature of the work. It's like nature. it's like it didn't like you didn't feel like you're doing anything. It was just like you know abstraction. Like you know how like people comment on the financialization of the economy. That was the center of it. I couldn't, I didn't understand it in that way at that point. Now in hindsight, I get it. No, it's fascinating because I'm exactly yeah. one of those kids that did exactly that yeah. <laughs> and went to one of those investment banking jobs for many yeah. years. So it's just very interesting to hear the other side, but I yeah. can totally see your point. There's very little that's tangible, in fact. Exactly, yeah. It's very, very theoretical in that sense, whether investment banking or trading. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, there's this. Yeah, it's it's making money from money and what's being done in between, right? Like, you know, and, to keep it making it very money, yeah. keep it very simple. Yeah. Or as I had a therapist that once said, "Well, what you do is you try to make rich people richer." Yeah, yeah. And I was like, "Oh, that sounds awful." Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, v VC and like is kind of the light version of this, right? It's, I'm not gonna give us a pass. Like we're not doing, <laughs> no. not to kind of misquote, what's his name, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, not doing God's work for sure, but like- it's, You're not it, blank fine. No, no, it's a bit more like, um, it's a bit more tangible. Like at least you, you kind of see companies grow, right? Like something happening, right? Like, you know, new, new ideas are forming, people are getting like, you know. Anyway, so I, I had an uncle here and I was kind of out of a job and with no ideas. Um, and my uncle, he's, he's a lawyer here, and the idea was maybe I'll go to law school because, you know, when in doubt, go to law school. Too late for a doctor. Too late engineer. for a doctor. No, no, didn't have the right electives. Uh, <laughs> I, Slavic studies uh, yeah, does not the, make you surgeon. Other than that, no, not at all. <laughs> to my parents, shock uh, and horror. Uh, so I, uh, I came here and I kind of was a bit lost, actually. I was in Dubai, and, you know, Dubai in its own way is kind of a city of the. Of, of the lost and the lonely trying to find their way. Came, uh, I spent like a couple of months here um, and I, through sheer coincidence, met a guy called uh, Walid Hanna, who was the founder of MEVP later in life. And at the time he worked for um, a subsidiary of Dubai Holding that uh, was a private equity group. And they wanted to launch as a CSR program, the region's first seed fund to invest like in early stage companies. And it was not really tech or it was just like early stage entrepreneurs. So it was really, this is like 2006, right? Like early days. So just me and him. And so we, we ended up like kind of like uh, putting that kind of tiny fund together. Uh, we invested in some really random companies. So the first company we invested in is an ostrich farm in, in, uh, in Jordan which I don't, I don't think it exists anymore. <laughs> I was going to ask. And the second was a company that does um, paper from palm trees in Egypt. Wow. 
Uh, and th- but we got a bit like a bit more interesting. So we did like a PinPay, which is um, a mobile top-up company in, okay. in Lebanon. And he eventually left, and I, I think spun that out to become MEVP. And in the meantime, we we met we we I think we as I was leaving, we brought on like Amir Farha, who is co-founder of of Beko. Beko. So you can see a lot of the genesis of like early from one, one from that one idea. I mean, talking about like how the networks ne- networks kind of like exactly like they they kind of beget themselves. I think so. That's how I ended up in 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 this gig, and it's just never looked back. And what was the moment? Because you had a very successful uh, job and, and a lot of responsibility at Wamda. Where, when was the moment when you thought, I want to go on my own? Was there that moment? What made you decide, I think I want to do this on my own, with my own name, at the door, so to speak? Yeah, just natural evolution. I think it was time to kind of like build, uh, you know, go on. There There was always that kind of like safety net. And I think it was time to kind of take off the training wheels, as it were. Even though like I, I, I had like, as you said, like a responsibility, but it was, I wanted to kind of author something. Were you worried that you almost would become too cerebral? I mean, in the sense that starting your own business takes you out of your comfort zone. I mean, there's yeah, no question yeah. about it. Yeah. Was that a part of your thinking? I'm only reflecting on my own thinking when I started this. I, I was sort of did all the things that I think would drive me mad, and I put yeah. them all in one and started this job and I mean, started I, this company. I mean, it's kind of odd because it's not like I didn't, I don't think, and I went from being an employee E to being like a sure. founder because like my old job you know I was given and Fadi gave me that responsibility I felt like this was my business too um, and I do worry I mean I worry every day about like you know self-doubt like more so now because I, I you know it's like you know I have like different shareholders I have different sure. investors I have different you know different kind of like you know the same people I worked with but like a different kind of partnership model and I think a big part of um, it is like you know self like Doubt, right? Like, is, it, sure. is this no, right? No, is this wrong? Is this what am I doing? You know? Do you feel? And again, I'm sort of just projecting here a little bit. Um, do you feel uh, at times when you do have self-doubt, which is perfectly normal, that you need to project a certain image simply because you have sort of started this? Yeah. You have people that are following you, people that believe in you, or are you following more of a model where you're like, you know what? Actually, I don't have an issue being more vulnerable. Speaking about this openly, people will relate to me even more. Yeah, I think like I, I, I gyrate wildly between the two, right? <laughs> like, so like a lot of times I'm like, especially with like the, my partners and take that theme of like just being open with people. I, I find that to be very effective. But I sometimes agree. you have to project like... Certain strength or a certain image. Exactly. Confidence, right? Because like, nobody wants to back someone who lacks confidence, right? But it's threading the needle of being confident yet... Um, understanding one's blind spots and like you know having that kind of vulnerability nobody has all the answers i certainly don't have all i've made even within nua in the past year i've made tons of mistakes right investment bad investment decisions of course like passing on companies you need to be able to kind of voice doubt um to be able to kind of invite others to kind of question your kind of your your thinking i think like you know like ray dalio Sure. So I read his book during the pandemic. I think he takes it a bit too far, but like the core thing that I love about him is this kind of idea of um, idea meritocracy. It's like let let ideas ha- be hashed out, and then like the ones that work rise to the top. It's a great term. I mean, people should be able to kind of argue respectfully uh, with each other um, with no intimidation, right? I think that's 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 key. And for people to kind of to do that effectively, I think you need to. Uh, as a leader, sometimes show vulnerability, like I, I'm wrong, you know, I got this wrong, you know, I'm not right about this. 
me ask you one, one last question just relating to Noah. What is your ambition when you look at Noah? Is it to be the largest fund in the region? Is it to be the most high profile? Is it to be known for particular investors, investments, sorry? Is it to build a network that's sort of where you punch above your weight as being a VC or uh, you know, an investment platform? You must have had some thoughts when you started this yeah. over and above at just being go, setting off on your own. Yeah, so I think the, the main focus was always like the is to be all of the above, if I'm honest. Like I want to do hit everything you just mentioned. But kind of the core principle, and it's a bit of a nebulous one, a bit of an abstract one, which is to kind of transcend, to be all of those things and transcend all of them at the same time. So to kind of like redefine, and it's in our tagline, right? redefining venture capital, which is like, you know, I want to just be a VC. I want to be like a platform that um, really unlocks value for founders and is kind of the gold standard for supporting entrepreneurs. Do you think that an Andreessen Horowitz has done that? I mean, in some ways, they started off with very similar ambitions and they are now yeah. one, if not the largest, and have unlocked or ticked off a lot of these other boxes. 100%. And what's interesting about Andreessen is they're kind of slowly evolving that model. I mean, they, they got a, like a, for example, like a merchant banking license where you know, they're, they want to kind of activate different networks, different kind of products within what they've been doing. They're starting a media company in a exactly. way. Exactly, I mean, and that's what like, you know, you know, sparkling, sparking conversations, because they all feed back to kind of thesis building, it all feeds back to network building. So the media is a critical part. Uh, they're very open about how they invest, which is another piece. Um, you know, the fact that they're kind of arranged for talent means that they can have a recruitment agency if they want, right? Like they're such a driver of, of talent to their companies, which is, I think, less well less well known, um, and then um, and they're great investors and kind of like great thematic investors. Do you worry with Mark Andreessen? So I interrupt you when you look at over the years the evolution. Obviously, when he started with a big splash, he was a well known founder already. Uh, but you know his well known essay, "Software is Eating the World." Recently, he's written a few more. It's time to build. Yeah. And he's now being critiqued in some circles about being very self-serving in terms of the kind of things they're putting out, including Medium, uh, so, uh, sorry, including Future.com. Future yeah. And the press is obviously having a little bit of a, of a field day with that. Do you worry that sort of this openness and you, uh, you know, not pontificating, but writing and, and, and sharing thoughts that it's at some point it looks like, you know, you really just have your own bottom line uh, as your first priority and everything else is, is uh, window dressing. I'm being a bit cynical, but I'm curious because it's something that has been said about, yeah. about Mark Andreessen specifically. So, um, you know, particularly like the relationship between the media and Silicon Valley in the US is like... Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very different. It's its own, but like... Yeah, we don't have that of, here, for yeah. sure. And like, I'm not, and Noah's like, you know, not even like one-tenth of a one-fraction of a one-percent of like Andreessen. So like, sure. can't, like the comparison is like... Like it's it's flattering, but it's like crazy. We're not nowhere near. But I think to your question as to like what, okay, there's no question that we are looking for a commercial return and I make no apologies for that. And that's what, and I believe in that. And I think that's what makes the world work. And I think that's what's going to drive great outcomes. It's when you introduce all kinds of other stuff that dilute the purity of that message that kind of creates issues. But it's not a false dichotomy is where I think we lose the, you know, which is kind of some media don't, don't get right, which is just because, you know, if we're looking out to kind of create great businesses that doesn't are profitable and, and sustainable, that doesn't mean it's like a bad, cynical thing because like those great companies employ hundreds of people, you know, they, they, uh, they, they create new business models, they reshape the world in a positive way, they drive productivity, efficiency, um, they make people wealthy. I think that's what matters. Probably somewhere, 
at a higher level, I mean, not to digress too much, there is a you know, very reasonable issue around like wealth and income inequality globally. Um, but I think it's like a whole when different you, conversation. Yeah, but when you, it shouldn't be kind of transposed onto like this idea of like how I operate my business, like in, in, in this way, right? So the fact that it's self-serving is fine, right? Like if you're doing media, you're doing, it's not just all altruistic. There is a, another dimension to it. But the fact that, you know, publishing all this stuff on future.com helps founders, helps entrepreneurs, helps. I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, let's celebrate that. Like, that's not a bad thing, right? You know what I mean? So I think it's like, it's not zero sum. And the, the dichotomy is a bit, you know, it's always kind of presented in this kind of... Uh, yeah, either or. Yeah, which I think is a bit unfair. I think that's very honest. Khaled, thank you very much. Thank this you. It was a great conversation. Awesome. And we hope to have you back soon. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Hesha Montasser. We are produced by Chirag Desai and our content director is Farah Sharif. We're taking a short break this August and we'll return with new episodes in September. In the meantime, please feel free to catch up on our previous episodes in your podcast player or at thelighthouse.ae slash podcast. You can also connect with us for updates on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE. See you in a few weeks and have a great summer.